All right, Mike. You're hosting this, right? I am. I am hosting this. Okay. Good. So, I want to see a scene. Oh no. Uh, and in this scene, <laughs> you're you are playing me. Okay. And I'm playing a theoretical teacher of, let's say, ancient literature. Um, okay. Who has listened to? What will now be two episodes ago. Okay. All right. Now, Ethan, I heard mm-hmm. I heard part one of your discussion on Jude the Obscure. It was bad, like all of your discussions are. Um, but that's not why I've called you here to my office today. Um, I wondered. This is, this is a weird place that you've called me. Well, it's... I, I don't want to be here. It's just an office. I mean, just, I mean, the, exactly. fact, the fact that, like, you don't go to this college and I sort of called you here like you were one of my students, I, I could see why that would be I, pretty weird, but... I was in the middle of work and you just dragged me out of, out of the coffee house and <laughs> said, you need to come with me. I thought you were the police. <laughs> You're right. That was pretty weird. Um... I mean, I don't know what police detectives you've met that wear tweed jackets with elbow patches, but, uh... Only the ones in my novels and fantasies. (laughs) We're not here to talk about your fantasies. That's next week. Oh, goody. Anyway, what I wanted to ask you about was if you had any commentary on the fact that you set the scene at the beginning of Jude the Obscure Part 1. You set it in 600 A.D., and you implied that your advisor, who could fly away, was Icarus. Now, chronologically, mm-hmm. that's insane. But to add insult to, as if to add insult to injury, you also said, as he was flying away, say hi to your dad for me. When, of <laughs> course, in the ancient legend, which is set well earlier than 600 A.D., uh, the the one with the dad, sort of the dad in it, is Icarus. Which which so it only makes sense to say hi to your dad for me if if this was Daedalus the son and not already established as Icarus, who apparently can time travel or is immortal or something. Like, how do you explain this? Um, these are all valid points. I have one word for you: poetic license. Uh, I take out a folder that says poetic license on it and I take a big stamp and it has and I stamp it and it says revoked and I hand it to you. Oh. Oh no. What will I do? And see. It's... Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have more you wanted to do? Go. No, it's great. It's great. See, my secret to this one was I put you in an office. <laughs> so that you couldn't so fly, fly away. away. <laughs> and also I made you me and I know that I don't have wings, so you also couldn't <laughs> fly away. Ah, uh, what an excellent trap you have laid for me. Thank you.
<laughs> anyway, hello, gentle listener. And welcome to Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. I'm I'm Ethan. Now, this will be very confusing, oh, probably, but I'm yes. Ethan. We're not in the scene yeah, anymore. Look what you've done. Right. Uh, so, so I wanted this very clear. I'm Ethan, and mm-hmm. this is Michael. And you said that I'm you, so... Well, who are you, though? I'm... I'm Ethan now. No, but right? I just said I'm... You're making this more confusing. It's almost I'm like... you're trying you, to follow your train of thought. This it, is... It's as if you want me to fail. <laughs> Why would I ever want that? I don't know. Why do I want you to fail and try to mess you up every time you host? I mean, that's... All right. No, uh, sorry. Let, can I take that again? I want to cut all of that out because I didn't no. mean to admit it. No, I can't. Oh, I nope. can't? Oh. It's too late. Nope. Oh. It's already, um, it's already done, and it's permanent now, and the internet has its grubby little paws on it. So. Oh, because it's been printed to the podcast tape? Is that... <sighs> sure. Sure. Sure, Ethan. See, yeah. what I did was, I did like a chess <laughs> trap there. Um... <laughs> It's called forking in chess, where, like, you move a... Which, this is still a family show. It's called forking. Mm. F-O-R-K. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is where you move a piece so that it's threatening two other pieces, so you can only move one of them and save that. And it was like... What I did was... I made it so that you either had to deny the thing you just said or deny that there are podcast tapes. Yep. Yep. And that was very smart was... of me. Very smart. Very good. You got me. I'm... I'm trapped now. Anyway, I Help. I do feel like I've started this show off on a very silly note. Um, very silly. Too silly. <laughs> well, I mean, it's all downhill from here, I guess. To to quote the children's cartoon VeggieTales, stop being so silly. That's the asparagus. What, the which, which asparagus? What's his name? I don't remember his name. Is it wow. Archibald or something? It is Archibald. Dang it. Oh, yes. I was going to call you out for like being a fake VeggieTales fan. Even though I am <laughs> not a VeggieTales fan necessarily. <laughs> but I don't know. Anyway. Well, now everyone knows that I am the best VeggieTales fan. Um, well, I mean, you can put, put that in my your... resume. Yeah, I was going to say put it in your Twitter bio. See what kind of a... Uh... Yeah. Anyway, what do we do on what do we do on this show? We uh it has scotch in the title. We yep. won't be drinking scotch tonight. And What? We are in a room. Yep. And we are Michael and Ethan. Mm-hmm. Um as has been established. Yes, we established that thoroughly <laughs> and with good communication. Um so yeah, so we're gonna like talk not about scotch, but about books. And yeah. There are other rules, but my wife is standing here uh, mm. with a, mm-hmm. a list of them that she's going to read off. So, Karen, if you would just go ahead and do that. Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. 
Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six, the wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven, if four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. Thank you, Karen. Oh, we didn't, uh, we haven't, we didn't intro the, uh, whiskey itself yet. So, we didn't. normally on this show, we drink a nice single malt scotch of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. However, tonight, we are both drinking expressions of Redbreast single pot still Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, I've realized my bottle doesn't say 12 years old, at least in the... It, like right on the front of the label, but I assume it is. Yeah, I'm gonna assume it is. I don't know. Um, so I my doesn't have a year on it either. But... Sure, my bottling is labeled as the Lustau Sherry Finish, so it's it's red breast whisk- red breast whiskey, um, finished in sherry casks. Michael, you have a similar but slightly different. Yes. Mine is the Redbreast Single Pot Still Irish Whiskey, the Pedro Jimenez edition, finished in Pedro Jimenez Sherry Hogsheads. Yes, so mm-hmm. a type of sherry cask, but the, the labeling is slightly different. Right. Um, and yeah, so once we clink these glasses of Redbreast, uh, the rules go into effect. And mm-hmm. I I almost feel like with how silly I've made every like I almost can feel myself breaking a rule prematurely. Like mm. it just feels like I, I am. So that's gonna be an interesting energy. Uh yeah, that's hmm, different. Yeah, well, that said, Slancha. Slancha. back after fulfilling my mission excellent uh mm-hmm. very good so tonight michael we are reading what uh we are reading a book or we are discussing oh, a book all right i mean at least one of us is okay if you say so i guess i never thought to like add the like, we've never officially added the rule that if you don't read the book, you lose. Yeah, that's but it, true. It seems like one of those ones where it's like, you don't think you need to add it until you figure out that you do. Right. Um, so mm. if tonight proves to be that night, mm. Mm. like, I don't know, because well, I don't um, have any leverage, because I can't punish you. No, you can't. This is, um, I win. 
Ha. Well, no, the, no, we've long established that there's no such thing as winning on this podcast. And yet I feel like I've won so many times. Well, do you have literally any proof of that? No. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, that's, why, that's why I said I feel like it. Sure, yeah. There's literally no proof, but that also means you can't prove me wrong. Well, so... So... This is, this is sort of actually reminding me of a conversation I had uh, with my dear friend Nicholas. I don't know. Oh. What? No, I'm just, yeah. Oh, You okay. had a conversation with Nicholas. That's bad. Yeah. Okay. You made a noise as if I had lost, and I already told you I was paranoid <laughs> about losing. <laughs> anyway, um, Nicholas was uh, the baker that I worked a lot with in my job where I'm a cook. He's, he's since not at that job anymore but he and i became became good friends and um we would you know in in a kitchen job you have especially when you get sort of the job down you have a Mm -hmm. lot of time where your brain is kind of you you, is kind of in neutral space like you don't have to be thinking about your job a whole lot it's more doing and you have a lot of time to just sort of say words Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Nick and I would get in a lot of arguments um, <laughs> about nothing. And at one point, he said something to the effect of, I don't know, I feel like I've won the podcast that we're on. Right. You know, we had, we got to that point in the conversation where it was like, I feel like I've I've won. Well, what proof do you have? Well, I have no proof, but you can't prove me wrong. And I said, no. of course not. You can't prove a negative. Um. <laughs> Which, of course, is like an old, you know, anyone who's taken rhetoric or formal logic or whatever, like, is very familiar with that rule. It's one of the base rules of argumentation or whatever. Um, Of the white man. I'm not touching that. Um, (laughs) So, what in, but instead of like explaining this in sort of a, sort of a rational, you know, way as like some might be expected of someone who taught college at one point i went ahead and said for example you can't (laughs) prove to me that there's not an elephant on the floor above us (laughs) of this building (laughs) and nick like nick was a was a very pale man like he's you know very germanic descent i think just very pale and his face turned beat red with the exertion of trying to prove the patently ridiculous sounding thing that I had said to prove it wrong, to prove that he could in fact prove that there was not an elephant upstairs. And, you know, it was just, just, uh, at, at that point, it's mm-hmm. like, it's again in chess when you've taken your opponent's queen and they're down a couple other major pieces and you're just like mm-hmm. waiting for them to, to run themselves out to exhaustion where it's just like, he, w- he was positing scenarios in which he live-streamed him going up the stairs, walking through the upstairs, yep. coming down the other stairs. And I was like, well, that's very simple. The elephant was hiding on the roof, and now it's behind you. Um, <laughs> oh, well, I'll turn around. Oh, well, the elephant stayed behind you. You know. Um, and anyway, that's that's what I immediately think of when when you tell me I can't disprove Right. Or prove that you're not winning. Anyway. So I see once I do, again I'm just taking the, the place of um defendant 
here and choosing to make you believe my innocence. In you... this case, is which is winning. Can you... Or at least not not winning. Sorry, I shouldn't be interrupting you because with each <laughs> thing you say, what I'm about to ask gets better, which is can you run through that exact sequence <laughs> one more time? <laughs> so what i'm saying ladies and gentlemen he's gonna attempt it is i am the defendant in this case in which you the prosecution are accusing me of not winning <laughs> and you can't prove the guilt which is not winning um and i don't have to prove my innocence which is not not winning <laughs> so you didn't do what i asked you to because that one was semi-coherent <laughs> only semi-coherent good <laughs> yeah anyway we have to talk about this book uh, mm. this book is called... Does that mean I have to stop being cantankerous? I mean, why Why would you stop now? It's been five years. That's true. Or six ha! years, or however long. Um, we are in our sixth year. Ha! Yes, we are but, yes. but children. Um, Sorry, what's the, what's the book here? It's called Filthy Animals, and it's by Brandon Taylor. Mm-hmm. Keep the change. You filthy animal. Oh, thank you, yes. Yep. Uh my my wife demanded that I make that joke as I was reading this book, <laughs> and then I got to the page where that book make the book makes that joke. Yes. So <laughs> So it took it away from you, is what you're saying. It did. It stole it from me. Sure, sure. So hence my cantankerosity. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um I mean that explains everything. There's there's I have no other no other questions. Michael, what did you think about this the rest book? of my case? That's a complicated question. I figured it That's was a very complicated question. And just like because you've been like trying to drag me under the bus these last however long you've been, we've been talking about courtrooms, I figured I'd just <laughs> throw you under the bus with our initial discussion question for this one. Um, it's because it's the simplest. To treat the attorney as hostile. Again, uh, why stop now? <laughs> good um well hey should we give the the listeners a chance to read oh uh, yeah we should so by no means delaying my answer i'm legitimately concerned for our listeners yeah as, as you should be i mean spoiled. they have sort of a peaky look to them tonight um yes yeah so everyone <laughs> as we always say as we have said every episode for the past like several um <laughs> at this point we're going to pause and you have two choices mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. you may pause the podcast go read the book mm -hmm. in its entirety uh and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast or you may continue listening and simply accept that we are going to potentially spoil uh things in this book that would have surprised you had they not been spoiled um, that is not a tautology. Don't ask me any more questions. Go read the book.
And you're back. Woo! Um, yes. So. So now we might wind up spoiling it. And you just have to deal with that. They got a little either hostile or defensive <laughs> or both. I mean, yep. what again, yet again, what else is new? What else is new? Um, okay. So when when you introduced this book yes. for us to read, I believe you mentioned a couple of things that have been rattling around in my brain both during the read and since. Um one being uh, the connection to the Midwestern novel, um, that general concept that yeah. you brought up um, in the past, um, and the book by, I forget who. Um, Nancy Bungie, on the I believe. Nan- Nancy Bungie. B- B- B-U-N-G-E, I, I don't know. Oh. Like, Bunge, Bungie? Bunge, Bungie. Yeah, there yeah, could okay. be several ways of saying that. but Sure. Anyway. Um, by Nancy B. Um, so the Midwestern novel, so that concept, and I have not read that book, but I, I have been desirous to do so anyway. Sure. Um, so that's, that, that factored into this. And of course, much of it or all of it is set in Wisconsin. Um, I'm trying to remember if there are places where they go outside of there. No, there's some Southern. In Filthy Animals. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a couple. Two. A large, yeah. large amount of it is set in Wisconsin, but not all. Of yeah, um, which the author himself has um, some Midwestern roots. He's got degrees from UW Madison and yeah. um, Iowa too. Um, so this, I think, qualifies in that sense at least as a Midwestern novel, quote unquote. But that's the other thing that uh, was brought up is that this is a collection of short stories, right? Um, which we haven't done on the podcast before, um, a short story collection. Um, and I think you said something about how it was interconnected short stories, or at least many of them were interconnected. Yeah. And keep in mind, all of like this, that. all of this is coming from before I had read the before reading. The right. Book, yeah. So I'm by no means trying to pull you under the bus with me. Um <laughs> Um, no, okay. Uh, so I, I went into it trying to think about um, the connection and, and trying not to overemphasize it. So I sure trying to ride a fence. That's what I'll say. Between seeing each individual story as its own complete whole, and also seeing how the stories connect into a larger cohesive frame. Sure. Um. Afterwards, after reading and um, finishing the book, or probably just even getting to the last story, I realized that not all the stories were actually connected, or if they were, I just missed the connection um, or the references. And then if I'd read the the flap on the book, too, I would have seen that, too. Sure. Um, but I I don't know. Flap, I, I don't always trust the flaps on, on books. But it says uh, there's a series of linked stories uh, at set at the heart uh of filthy animals um and then there are other stories um which which you can see there like potluck the first story uh in the book sets up the link um of the the characters of um lionel and uh charlie and um what's her name 
Yes. Starts with an S. Sasha? Not Sophie? Sasha. Sophie. Yeah. Sophie. Yes. Um, so those three recur in two or three more. Three more. Yeah. Stories. A set of four stories is where they are. And then they're mentioned in a couple others, too. Sure. Um, okay. So um, you've got some of that interconnectedness there. But then other stories that just don't have any connection at all. Um the second story in the book, Little Beast, I think, um, I don't think that has a connection to any other story. At least not like a... Unless I'm missing it. Direct surface level one, I don't think. Right, right. It's interesting. Is um, that the one... It's the babysitting one. Oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, continue. Okay. Um, okay, so I'm trying to give the framework for my perception... And my my preconception, yeah, as I was reading the book, and how that uh, informed how I perceived it, what I thought of it, um, and I I don't know if it clarifies it necessarily. Sure. I think I was expecting more of not exactly a ribbon. Sure. But more of a conclusion oh. in the final story in the book. Sure. Um, I shouldn't have. Because if I had actually considered each story as a complete whole, right. I would see this trend that they do kind of just end mm. <laughs> without, a, without a clear conclusion. So why should I expect that it would all be wrapped up? But I think that's part of why I did expected to like there wasn't a clear conclusion i don't think to any story right um my sense they they reach a conclusion and it's it's done yeah um my... but so that that's kind of what led me to believe that these quote-unquote loose ends yeah left around would find a, a meeting point in the end my sense about um, the conclusions is that yeah um and maybe i'm just not well read enough in the you know sort of literary short story of the last 50 years or so but um or or more than that but like i'm maybe i'm not well read enough to know where this comes from other than james joyce but um oh sure a, a lot of a lot of these stories in some ways felt to me very much like reading dubliners and in in dubliners which is joyce's only like collection of short stories um, the uh, other than the final story in the collection, explicitly what Joyce does is the climax of the stories happen in the reader's mind. Um, mm. so it's the reader who knows that the story has come to a conclusion or that it's it's come to like a head. The things in it have come to a head, but they, if you were just tracking sort of the surface level, like the way you'd diagram sort of a story on like an Aristotelian incline or something it wouldn't work out because where a reader has an epiphany and where yeah. a character has an epiphany are like two different things. Right. Um, yeah. Which is just kind of a fascinating structure. Yeah. The thing, to take. the other thing that really only occurred to me as you were kind of laying out this, this framework uh, mm -hmm. is, is, is that the stories are almost braided in a way okay. that, that, that like, I didn't keep track of it. I should have, but I didn't keep track of it fully 
throughout the thing but i want to say for the most part it's like every other story is um the uh oh man now i've forgotten their names sophie and lionel uh, lionel and charlie and sophie charlie yeah um yeah so it's like every other story is that and then um the off stories as it were Just are the about. ones that tend to stand on their own um yeah and that's an interesting structure all by itself because it implies that there's like hmm. you know there's a through line and that the other stories sort of live on that line but like maybe facing away from it instead of sort of inward towards it. yeah so I, i'm looking through the contents and i think you're exactly right it is every other not totally directly um oh, sure. so potluck is the big one that starts it all off right um and then, like, that's where you meet all three of those characters. Um, in Flesh, the third story, um, it centers on Charlie. Um, yeah. And I think he sees Sophie in that case, too. Lionel isn't really part of that one. He's mentioned. Um, then in Proctoring, uh, the three of them are there again. In Mass, the seventh story, so we're in the odd-numbered stories here. In Mass, it's about... Um, uh, Alec, uh, Alexi or um, Sasha, I think his nickname is. Oh yeah. Um, who um, has a connection to Sophie and Charlie, but they're not in it. Yeah. So directly. if you're trying to see that as like a central through line, that's like the biggest reach. But it's at least right. in the world of those of those other stories. Right. Right. Um, and then apartment is those three, the ninth one, and then eleven uh, meet. Uh, the eleventh one is those three again. So yeah. it is every other one um, is those three characters. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that braid is is there. Yeah, and I suspect uh, like I'd have to read read it through a second time. Um, I suspect that probably yeah. thematically, like I I doubt that the arrangement is. You, even drilling down in deeper than that, I doubt that the arrangement is accidental. I I, I assume thematically oh, yeah. we're, um, and maybe we'll bring some of that out here as we talk about sure. it. But um, you know, I think that even the the stories that read almost as like one offs, you know, I think are probably related to and commenting on the um, the more braided stories. Yeah, it, at least tonally. I think certainly totally. Um, um, but you, you know, thematically, I think there's, I mean, there are a lot of through lines that run through all of right. these stories. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, I don't know. Did, were you, were you like setting up that, like, were you constructing that airplane to fly it somewhere specific or I don't want to get too <laughs> far off the, uh, if, if you were laying something out for us. Not necessarily. I wanna I wanna keep our, our scheduled landing because you you did kind of ask me to give my rating. I mean um, by I asking me what didn't I thought. Say of that. It. Um, we save ratings till the end, Michael. <laughs> no, but I will, say, I will say, save my rating to the end. Say whatever you want. I'm I'm yep. joking other than that I'm serious. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I know. <laughs> Same as it always is, you know. Same as it always is, yes. Um, so, okay. Uh, I guess... I, I. So I'm not going to answer that question, what did I think of it? <laughs> Excuse me. Because now, <laughs> I've, now I've forbidden you from it? 
Or confused you. Yeah, you've forbidden me. Yeah. And I'm never confused. I always know exactly what's going on. That hasn't um, been my experience. Hey. <laughs> um, what I will say is I was a little worried you were trying to trap me from about the first couple pages. Oh, yeah? Um, of this book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, because it doesn't stop. And you know what I'm talking about. Um, um, are you talking about something that perhaps uh, when my wife read the rules a few minutes ago, you were absolutely forbidden from saying? A hundred percent, yes. Interesting. Um, Interesting. I do it, want to point out. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, is it almost as though like a lot of the motifs from that literature mm-hmm. like almost reoccur uh, explicitly like in even the colors and the Not as well as the hidden. other it's like imagery it's explicit yeah sure no, he's not even trying to hide it yeah absolutely well i mean you can see this in the here here's some themes that i'll, I'll point out one of the big ones sure. is food sure um it starts out with a story called potluck right so by right. themes you're maybe also talking about like recurring images or motifs or yep. whatever mm-hmm. sort of a, a yeah, broad definition of theme yes yes not like a specific thesis sort of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. but um yeah so in this concept of food that really ties to many others um the idea of people are eating mm-hmm but what are they eating? What is being eaten? And any of those what's could be replaced with who's. Um, <laughs> so you've got uh, predators and prey uh, throughout as well. Those those sorts of themes, um, uh, motifs um, filter in. Um, with the potluck idea itself, you've got this idea of an invitation, um, which is right there. The this, uh, the central character of Lionel sitting uh, or standing on the doorstep, basically waiting until he is explicitly invited in um, uh, to the this this potluck. Um, so, and that that concept is there as well. Doorways and invitations are are present throughout. Um, and what are you inviting in? What are you welcoming into your um, safe space? Um, th- there's a tension between the familiar and the alien and uh, how a person can even be unfamiliar to himself um, and be a predator upon himself uh, as as well. Um, so okay, these these are these are these motifs that I'm dancing around um, in this this whole oh my gosh they even in potluck they make their way outside at a certain point uh, and everyone just randomly starts making these animalistic noises um, in the margin I'm trying to find exactly where I put it but I wrote children of the night um, right there, page thirty two <laughs> there it is. Um, 
it, there's there's no build up to this at all. The other the Sophie, Charles, and Lionel are all having a conversation on page thirty one, then the top thirty two. Out in the yard the people had begun to leap and clap and shout. The host stood up, leaned out over the banister and hollered. The snow was falling fully then and everyone it was howling. Charles put his head back and belted out a forceful, vibrating call. Lionel watched the muscles in his neck bulge, his skin reddened. He was the last to stop. Lionel felt soaked through with his sound. He could still hear it when they all went back inside out of the cold. Um, so why start howling randomly? Why act like wolves here? Um, because these characters are predators. And um, that's that's where I'll, I'll, I'll leave that. Sure. Uh, I do want to say, too, I don't think we ever hear what Lionel brings to the potluck. Ah, interesting. Um, Which tells me what he brought for everyone else to eat is himself. Sure. Because despite his name, he is the one most preyed upon. Yep. Um. I was just glancing back at the beginning, which is obviously where uh, where one might expect to uh, see it to to find what uh, right what Lionel had made mm-hmm. or what what he had brought rather. Um, right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and it's interesting too because like the first few paragraphs uh, of the book of the story. The first few pages is where Lionel is at his strongest. He has the most power. He that that word is even there in the first page, um, third paragraph at the bottom. He's, it says he felt powerfully anonymous out there in the dark, mm-hmm. looking in at all of them. So, without being near this party of predators, he's powerful, mm-hmm. but he loses his power gradually as the book progresses mm-hmm. um, pretty rapidly. As soon as he enters the party, it's, right. it's taken away from him. Um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so respond. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, it's interesting that, that you caught all of this because like power power and power games are like one of the things i find the most interesting in literature but like mm. everything you've said is just wildly different from sort of really just what i was paying attention to in this book sure um and uh now for the second time already in you know maybe 30 minutes of discussion of this or less of this book specifically. Like I feel like I almost need to go back and reread it. Um, Hmm. Excuse me. Uh, Yeah. I guess one thing uh, that I, I thought about, I did think about as, you know, as I was reading this um, and uh, it was, you know, it's going to come up sooner or later, uh, is the topic of sex. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, there's, I mean, the, the most obvious thing to say about it is there's a lot of sex in this book. Um, sexuality and sexual, whatever sex, you know? Um, and 
the thing that I kept thinking every time that it came up was actually back to um, the same uh, book where you sort of originally were inspired to think about mm. vampires in literature, uh, the book How to Read mm-hmm. Literature Like a Professor. Um, right. Which is a book I never super like. I've never read the whole thing straight through. I've read bits and pieces of it, and like. I think that's the best way to read it. Yeah. And it's like some of the sections. It's kind of a reference text. Yeah. And, he, and I, I even have fights with it periodically. Like some of the sections I oh, find yeah. really insightful and interesting. And we've, I, I think it's been a long time, but I think we've talked about this on the show before where, you know, there are some sections of that book that I'm just like, no, you're a professor <laughs> of what? You got published by a major publishing house saying this crap, but, um, <laughs> but you're not bitter, but I'm not bitter. Uh, See, Ethan, this is why you get called into professor's offices all the time. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I've put one too many bitter esoteric rants out into the world. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm getting old enough that they're coming around and biting me on the butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not talking about getting bitten on the butt. We're talking about sex. Um, <laughs> so, uh, woo. Um, now I have I completely forgot what I was going to say. How to read literature? Like Thank a you. Professor. Yes. So in that book, there are two chapter headings that I want to reference back to back. Yes. Um, they almost as if you already know exactly what I'm going to say. Uh, what? No. They are, if I remember right, and I'm you know just quoting from memory. So even though I'm quoting, I'm paraphrasing. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe that they are, uh, everything is about sex is one of Mm -hmm. the chapters. And then the, the immediate next chapter is except for sex. Um, (laughs) and the point is, you know, and I've, I've skimmed these chapters. It's been a long time. So, uh, any verbal plagiarism that I do here is purely accidental, but, um, as I understand those chapters, like, Basically, the first one is about, you know, how many other things that aren't sex are about sex. An obvious example would be like, you know, I mean, we go to film references because they're easy. But mm-hmm. like, if if you imagine a scene in a movie where uh, there's a man and a woman who are attracted to each other and the woman like dips a strawberry in chocolate and eats it very mm-hmm. slowly while making eye contact with the man. Like the scene is not about eating and it's not about the strawberry, right. you know, you, we all know what, what it's about. Um, whereas then the reversal is that when you do have sex portrayed in fiction, often the sex is about something completely other than that. Um, right. And the, the other example I was going to give was going to be um, a music example. Def Leppard. You got the peaches. I got the cream. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just about coming it's up. Not about dessert, right? Well, it's just about coming up with new oatmeal, instant oatmeal oh, flavors. Yeah, I think. Yeah, um. <laughs> anyway, yes, as you were saying. Uh, yeah. Now that you've outed yourself as a seventy-year-old man referencing Def Leppard, <laughs> uh, <laughs> only because it played at every freaking high school dance I ever went to. <laughs> that seems appropriate. <laughs> public school everyone <laughs> granted you know uh probably also like don't stand so close to me also played at every one of those dances um yeah pretty much so uh pour some sugar on me you know 
<sighs> I mean, our, our Lutheran school on more than one occasion played the whatever that song is. You spin my head right round as a dance. <laughs> so Good. we don't have exactly a super high moral high horse to climb on top of. Um, That's fantastic. We're not talking about climbing on top of things. We're talking about sex. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, so like. You know, uh, and and obviously these these sorts of professorly generalizations or or uh, what am I? You know, they're mm-hmm. they're they're uh, they're reductive. Obviously, like things yeah, can be about sex and not about sex. But um, it it did seem to me that every single time that sex came up, it was actually about power in some way or another. Mm. Um, Usually pretty blatantly, usually so yeah. blatantly that I suspected some other third thing was going on that I was not smart enough to to mm-hmm. catch. Um, but certainly like sex, like as an expression of power and even like desire and longing as expressions of power. Um, mm-hmm. the, those come up a lot. And, right. um, you know, and, and since I... Uh, am not under that particular law, I can say, you know, sex can be very vampiristic. Um, mm-hmm. And longing, you know, longing and, and unrequited love or unrequited love that's that's given into, depending on the circumstances, like all of that can also be almost even more vampiristic. Um, right. Honestly, almost for my money, uh, the possibly best story in this in this book um at least the the one that like stood out and smacked me in the face on a first read through was the story as though that were love um okay which is the fourth story fourth uh starts on page 83 um and that's that's the the story about um I don't know how to say the one uh the main character's name Heart Hartius Hartius Heart <clears throat> I think in my brain I was saying Hartius sure um and you know we're very much call him Garfunkel because the other character is Simon wow. I was, gonna, I was already gonna say we're very much outing ourselves as like white boys from the Midwest, but um, <laughs> and now I made that reference exactly to solidify my position as a seventy-year-old <laughs> man. I mean, listen, I made you, I made you my very old advisor two episodes ago for a reason. That's true. Um, true. Yeah. So I'm flying away. <laughs> Uh, well, gentle listener, it's only me for the rest of this episode. Uh, I get to say the wildest things, and Michael officially can't argue with me. Um, and also, I'm not attached to anything you say. <laughs> I am not responsible. <laughs> I wipe my clans, my wipe my hands of you. Um, am I? Am I? Am I responsible? Am I? Am I my podcast co-host's keeper? This thing. <laughs> sorry i was i was just waiting because like it just seemed like it, it seems like anytime i try to like 
help you. I I cut you off from making things worse for yourself. And I just didn't want to do that this time. Oh, yes. As though that were love. Uh, yes. And like, you know, the... Of course, the... Um, so that so again this is this is the mm-hmm. uh story of sort of an unrequited you know mm-hmm. at least desire passion on Simon's part for h um mm-hmm. and it's a um you know it's it's very clear i don't know it's like the power, power dynamics seem to shift and invert in all of these stories, um, like almost at the at the drop of a hat. Like, oh yeah, uh, Hartia's H plays this whole story um, till the very last pages. You know, he plays mm-hmm. it like again to just like borrow my it's my same chess metaphor that I already mentioned. He he plays it like someone who has captured his opponent's queen and has a couple other major pieces up. Like he, you know, he has all of the power because of the sort of aloofness and unrequitedness of the, the love or the desire that Simon, um, you know, shares or, or holds for him. Um, you know, until he H basically sort of pushes that too far um, mm-hmm. and, you know, basically thinks that he can do whatever he wants, you know, up to and including sort of the, you know, uh, the act of, of love itself, the act of sex. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he, he just thinks he can sort of, uh, literally do anything he wants to Simon. Um, right. He turns Simon basically into his toy. Yeah. His plaything. For um, that's that's led up to page one hundred four. Like okay, so talking about these power dynamics shifting, yeah. right? Um, page one hundred four at the bottom paragraph. They're on their way up. Um, oh, and I, I well, like I was listening to you, but I also was looking up really quickly at pronunciation. It's Hartius. Hartius. Okay. Hartius. So, um, anyway, so as Hartius is walking into Simon's house here, um, he's the the tone of where they're walking starts growing more sinister. Like there's something lurking. Uh, there's this emphasis on the spider webs mm. that are everywhere. Mm. And so, like, thematically, so reading literature like a professor, right? You think as he's entering into this place filled with spiders, spider webs, he's entering into the spider's web. Right. Right? Um, so he's going to be the prey, which is already a theme that's been there, predators and prey. Um, because, again, Simon is the one who wants this. Right. right? That's, that's been something that he's been trying to lure Hartius in this whole time. But then it's already even hinted right in that same paragraph, even before you see the spider webs, where uh, they're looking at the pictures on the wall. And it says the pictures on the wall didn't belong to Simon. Right. So it tells you right there. It's not his spider web. Sure. Um, he's not the spider. Simon isn't the spider. Instead, Hartius is the spider here. Sure. Um who's who's kind of taking that that control so they're the power dynamic again real just like shifts yeah yeah on on that 
on that dime. And especially, you know, and I'll go ahead and say it again, like this is there's a little bit of a vampire's layer happening. Mm-hmm. Um and and then at the end of that exact paragraph that you're quoting, uh on the small tables were minor trinkets, crosses and portraits of saints, delicate painted mm-hmm. women, martyrs, beads and pearls, a nest of sacraments. Um mm-hmm. which is just a beautifully turned phrase all by itself like hey. you know if you're if you if you're familiar with literally any sacred tradition that has sacraments i feel like a mm-hmm. nest is not the noun that you would either that's not the collective yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right? it, it's certainly not the one you would prefer and it's not the one you would have learned either or right so that that uh, juxtaposition is really striking yeah yeah and it, it yeah. you know and it adds to the sense of off kilter of of canted angles yeah and like you've got this um it it still sort of leaves things a little ambiguous there in that scene Mm. page 105 right about the middle uh, of the first or the the only full paragraph there simon latched onto his neck hartius's neck right so like he's going in for the kill this reminds me of something but I don't know what, yeah. but so it seems like he's still the predator there, but um, then it's uh, entirely turned around. Right. Um, and I mean, so uh, it yeah. has that. And then even in the next sentence, it's, you know, Simon kissed and bit a path until Hargis had no choice but to kiss back. Like, you know, it, it mm-hmm. linguistically, it, it frames Hargis as the, um, the victim. as the victim, as the less powerful one. Well, at the same mm-hmm. time, like he has created, in a sense, he has created this situation or has allowed right. this situation to to happen um, in certain ways. Right. Um, yeah. So just that um, the title of this story is Though That Were Love, and that gets brought up uh, in the text of the story as well. Yeah. Um, that like drawing that tension um of love power predation mm-hmm. <laughs> um desire uh all of that is is mixed together um in here um and hartius i think is is the character who really just like doesn't get it i think that's that's where we're left at the end like he doesn't know what love is right like he kind of knows that he doesn't know right but he just he doesn't know um there are hints to this too earlier on that um so like i'll I'll say this blanket statement um everyone is an animal in this sure book everyone's an animal heart is specifically um early in the story it's page 91 um where, where I'm seeing it right up at the top, Simon says to him, uh, well, Hartius says, forget it. They're, you know, having this discussion. And Simon says, no, not forget it. Say it. Say words, Hartius. Words. Um, so trying to draw, and the, the repetition there, too, mm-hmm. is trying to draw out what differentiates a human being from an animal. Like, no, you need to communicate with words. You can't just... Right be an animal about this right. and, you know this is something that you know children have to be taught you know use your words right <laughs> right 
uh, because toddlers are are more want to use their their hands and and teeth. Um, so heart just needs to be drawn into that as well. Um, so he's he's just very explicitly and clearly animalistic. Does not understand mm-hmm. um, what love is, which is something presumably higher than. Uh, or on a higher plane than a power dynamic or mere desire um, uh, or what have you. Right. Um, while we're, while we're on this and I'm, uh, I'm not sure exactly if or how this relates, but I was going to say this at some (laughs) point, but, um, and it's, we're literally on the page. So, um, just one of the like there are there are a number of just individual sentences throughout this book that like mm. felt like I was wily e. coyote in a you know roadrunner <laughs> cartoon getting hit with a 500 ton anvil um mm-hmm. and one of them was just it's not even a full sentence but it's like reverberated through my head like that anvil you know striking my hard skull um, literally in the several weeks since I, since I read this book, um, mm-hmm. and the phrase, the, the sentence clause, I guess, is white people had a vast hunger for the calamities of others. I underlined that. <laughs> it's underlined. Um, I was staring at it because you said it's on the page and I'm like, that's the only other thing I underlined on this page. <laughs> yeah. Please tell me that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and like... We certainly could. We certainly could do an hour just talking about, you know, race in this book. Um, oh, sure. I don't know whether we should or whether we're qualified to. Mm-hmm. Not that that has stopped us from talking about we race could. in the past. Um, yeah. But like, mostly, I'm saying that in order to say, no matter what we say about race in this book, it's going to be inadequate and it's going to be less than it could be. But um, <laughs> in this moment, all I want to say is like. I get really uncomfortable with modern books that do sort of the Victorian. I I associate it with Victorian novels where it's like, you'll have a digression and it's just like the author talking about the nature of things. Right. Oh yeah. Women, women all because women are the, you know, the the weakest sex, they always do the weak thing, you know, just garbage like that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not always even that problematic. It's just always just like, what gives you the authority to say like this is always how it is but like i always read those sorts of passages as like tongue-in-cheek like no you don't actually know what you're saying and you're saying this for a different point right and sometimes they are but sometimes it's clear that they're not the the good ones are right (laughs) and you know and you can read even the bad ones you can read them that way but it's it the less i choose to the less that i think (laughs) that's the author's intention the more that like i get uncomfortable with them um But I was like, this one, I just, I read it for a first time and I reread it and I reread it and then I read it out loud to my wife and I was like, uh, I hate how true it is. Well, it ties right into the whole theme of the book in general yeah. that like, here's a predator, a big predator, big group of predators right? Um, on others. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, just by that word hunger. Um, right. And right. so it, it 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 does in in a way talk in a, a social commentary sort of way about 
um, race uh, that reframes the discussion. Sure. Um, it, I, I don't want to say in a new way necessarily because it, it's tying it right back into the power dynamics and things, right. but it's an added argument. And I, and I mean argument in the broadest sense. I wouldn't, I don't, um, I don't know if, to that dynamic. I don't know if I would use the word argument, but maybe perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, there we go. That's a better word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like the, you know, in, especially in Western literature, white authors have for so long gotten to, um, gotten to like describe others and white men especially have gotten to describe, uh-huh. you know, like women of every every you know race as well as uh people of of non-white races like it's gotten to be our perspective and even when uh you know when change happens or when when you know um other voices are allowed in it's it's um at the behest or at the under the auspices often of of white authors and white men and it's like this is the that sentence like um and you're right it ties into the themes of power and if you're talking about you know whiteness and power and like that's that's very much a a very resonant um topic uh you know connect set of resonant set of connections i guess um Mm -hmm. but it it felt like seeing a perspective that was like uh I don't know. Like, I hesitate to use the word decolonized because that's a whole oh, sure. debate and that's... it's almost unresolvable. And, you know, and it's like yeah. <laughs> in a world where colonization has happened, are you ever out from its shadow, even if you're trying to repair the damage it's done, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like it, it felt like a perspective that was completely not something I would ever have thought of and not something that i guess it was like not something that's submitted for my approval um mm. in a way that like yeah. i'm probably subconsciously mm-hmm. not used to um <laughs> you know and i'm temp- and and even like even as i say that i'm tempted to give my opinion on it and i feel like i don't want to but um yeah but at the same but it was like i cannot argue with this sentence like or with this with this clause like mm-hmm. the, i i it it seems completely fair well, and completely true from the the yeah. most basic level of like you know I, I feel like i feel like maybe i'm wrong about this and maybe i'm talking like outside of my actual cultural knowledge but i feel like it's white people who've made true crime like a huge genre across <laughs> multiple media you know and just sure, sure you know just stuff like and and that's just the surface level of it well, it combines this, you know, power dynamic in general. Um, that um, <clears throat> so true crime genre, like train wreck phenomenon, yeah. sort of thing, um, and white guilt. Sure, like all of this together is put into that sentence. Yes, um, and it's. I mean, another way it ties into the theme of the story probably is like. Uh, the idea that, you know, it was a story he had learned to tell white people, uh, Mm -hmm. ellipses, it had paid for his college, and then 
you know, because white people had a vast, mm-hmm. vast hunger for the calamities of others. It's like, it's tied it, into that. the power dynamic. Yeah, it's tied into that theme of the people who have the power are, are not always the people who look like they do. Or maybe that's wrong, right. and maybe some of the ways I've analyzed Tartius and, and Simon's relationship is wrong, and it's less like that the people who look like they have the power don't have it, and more that, like, the people who are conventionally powerless will find other ways to exert power. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I have any more to say there's, about it than that. There, there's, from a different story, the the first story in the book, there's there's a connector that, that I had, had drawn a, um, a line to mm-hmm. in this respect to page 15 in Potluck. Um, it's just about the last half of the page. Sure. Um, where Lionel is kind of introspecting here um, while he's in the bathroom. Um, and it says his mother would have told him to comb his hair and said that he had the he'd ha- he had the bad habit of letting white people see him nappy and disheveled. <laughs> he always wanted to tell her when she got on him about it that white people were just people, but he knew that it was a naive and stupid thing today to say because white people were white people back in the care facility. His mother had told him that his aunts and uncles down home, which was what she called her hometown in Eastern Georgia thought his current state was because he'd been ripping and running with them with all them white kids at school and math camp. His aunts and uncles saw his desire to kill himself as an extension of all those things. They didn't like or understand how he talked, how he saw things and they blamed his father and his father's ways for that. It was dumb. It was pointless. It was nobody's fault. Things happened. Um, so he's got this conflict between um, alienation and um, the familiar, the the comfort in that familiar here, uh, in this concept of race as well. But which which is the f- but that that alienation and the familiar? Which which one is the like the real one? <laughs> but it's both. Um, right. I, I don't know. Yeah, so like I, I, I saw a connection there. Um, not just because of the, the comment on the, yeah. the race, but like it's it, there's it, there's a complicated sort of perspective on that. Um yeah. Well, unless you have anything to the add to that. One thing and... one thing, one thing I wanna add to that is like Yes. I don't know if it's my biggest question besides that section about this story as though that were love, but because we're in that story, um, some Mm -hmm. like this line stuck out and, and I, and I want you to tell me why it stuck out. I'm asking, why did this stick out to me? Page 101. Um, they're, they're having a conversation and it's just something that Hart just said. He just says, call me Huck Finn. Um, which is in reference to a barge, like he's getting back on his barge, Simon said. Um, and Hart just says, call me Huck Finn. Um, like, first of all, talking about race, okay. Um, theme uh, yeah. in Huck Finn. Um, also this idea of like homelessness. Um, the Again, the Midwestern novel uh, idea is is ostensibly begun in Huck Finn. Um, also then this, yeah. this line of call me Huck Finn almost sounds like it's trying to get the idea of the first lines of Huck Finn. 
across, but also it mm-hmm. echoes a different famous first line, and that's Moby Dick, call me Ishmael, right? Um, right. I, I don't know how much of that is intentional, how much of that is there. I feel like a lot of it stuck out to me. And I mean, like, again, that rule that if I thought of it and it seems like a connection, I'm going to give the author credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I suspect that both the Huck Finn and the Moby mm-hmm. Dick references are quite intentional. Um, what they're yeah. getting at, I would be mm-hmm. less confident about. Again, especially without having yeah. read this book a second time. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, we're we're getting, like, pretty well yeah. over our time, and I feel like any real answer I give to that is going to make us go <laughs> even farther over. Um, so... Uh, my suggestion is we think about oh, yeah. it for the next two weeks, two or three weeks, however, wherever this falls on the the uh, release mm-hmm. rotation, um, and then come back to it and see if we've uh, see if we've got anything better to say Sounds about like it a plan. at that time. All right. Um, that said, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we have been, and still are, Michael and Ethan. I'm not sure which of us is I which, um, but we're both here. Mm-hmm. So That's the important thing. Uh, exactly. So please, read along, give us your feedback. Um, we will continue next time to read Filthy Animals by Brandon Taylor. And um, you can send your feedback to... The context section of tapestryradio.org. If you put Scotch Talk in the subject line, it will help us uh, find it better. Um, we are at Room with Scotch on Twitter. I am at Bjartlet on Twitter. That's at B J A R T L E T T. Michael, are you on Twitter? I am. I don't check it often, but I am at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Um, also, you can find... Uh, I, I'm like a regular contributor now to, uh, if you're in Southern Minnesota and care about community theater, um, a regular contributor to the Albert Lee Tribune for a theater criticism oh, cool. uh, of our community theater. So, Is that um, online at yeah. all? Can interested parties it find is. it? It uh, is. AlbertLeeTribune.com, cool. I believe. That is awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I have i don't know i have nothing else um if you want to send us your homework we will do that not well not in a way that gets you not in a way that gets you not hauled out off to plagiarism jail um (laughs) unless you can somehow convince your professor that you that he he or she can't not prove you're not innocent um so many double negatives in this entire episode i love it yeah i was just quoting you so uh this is this is all on you um (laughs) that's why i love it you can submit homework at tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast there's a form there if you like this podcast check out our other shows on tapestry there's intermission uh us play fiasco freddy goes to a podcast and pokemon rollout among others um one of those is an audio drama a couple of them are real play rpg podcasts 
Uh, and one of them is another book podcast, but you'll have to go to the website to figure out which is which. Um, that's right. Scavenger Hunt. Advertisement by Scavenger Hunt. Um, <laughs> please rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you use to get your podcasts. We don't pay to advertise, so that's really the only way uh, other people learn about us. No pressure. Um, and just remember... Until next time, it's our party, and we'll cry if Michael flies away in the middle of our improv scene. <laughs> okay, we love you. Bye. Bye, I'm flying away. <laughs> oh no, I'm crying. <laughs>